talk about David's Jerusalem. So now we'll talk about uh, Jerusalem about 1000 BCE and moving on with, with the conquest of David and then his son Solomon. So who is David? Uh, some of you know him as the cross-eyed guy in Florence. Anybody been to Florence and seen Michelangelo as David? Good. It's beautiful. Does it look better from, from back there than it does from here? Maybe I'm on angle. Let me show you a quick picture here. If you get a chance, you know, Rome's got all the archaeological ruins, but Florence is the pretty city. I love the city of Florence. Anyway, David on the left. And then many of you have heard the story, and it's part of the kind of American idiom, David and Goliath. Right? Had Butler beaten Duke, right? It would have been a story of David beating Goliath. Okay, this, this underdog, this small guy beating this giant. Okay? So those are two references to this guy named David that we get from the Bible. Um, we also know David archaeologically, you know, there's a, and still to this day, there are a lot of scholars who say David didn't exist. David is completely made up like Moses and Abraham and all these guys. He's just this way of telling the story. Right? But there, there began to be some evidence of David and some... Um, centralized, very strategic development, defensive development, administrative development, around <coughs> Jerusalem and to some key cities in the north and one in the south. And they begin to say, well, maybe David did exist. But maybe his name wasn't David. Maybe it was someone else. We don't know. And then I believe it was 94. Was it 92 or 94? 94? That they found this inscription in a place called Tel Dan. Way up in the north, we found a basalt inscription uh, in Aramaic. And in the inscription, it refers to, and somebody's bragging, right? What you did, it's unlike today. You know, unlike today, when you have a military conflict, you talk about liberating, and then we just want to help the people that we're liberating, and we're going to give the country right back to them, right? So the US is in Afghanistan to do what? To liberate them from the evil Taliban, and to give their al-Qaeda, and give it back to the Afghan people. Right? Or to liberate you know, Iraq from Saddam Hussein, and give it back to the Iraqi people which is just unheard of. And then when you conquered someone, you took their land, right? You took their gold, you took their land, you killed other people, or you took them as slaves. And that's how you grew your empire, all the way down through Rome, all the way down through, it's not, it's a very recent phenomenon that you go to war and then you give people back what you took from them, <coughs> right? Who does that? Okay. And in antiquity, you bragged, unlike today in the sportsmanship and game, you know, the Duke goes out there and beats Butler, and <coughs> what does Krzyzewski say? You know, that's a great team over there. You know, they, they really fought hard and they're a worthy opponent, right? Very rarely, and it's funny when you hear it, <coughs> excuse me, very rarely do you hear somebody go, we whooped them. I mean, we just destroyed them. We're the baddest thing on earth. No one can touch us. You know, that's called talking smack, right? Well, in, in antiquity, and this is one of the reasons to study ancient inscriptions, it's just all smack talking. Everything. It's just smack talking. Or it's curses. Right? There's a, there's a, there's a lot of great Aramaic documents that are nothing but curses. But all the evil things that are going to happen to you if you break the tree. So curses and smack them. So this guy makes a steel, steely, 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 some kind of inscription. And he's bragging about all the, all the people he whooped. Right? And among them, um, I took rides 2,000 horsemen, and then it breaks off. Right? The king of Israel, uh-oh, so he whooped the king of Israel. And the house of David and I embrace off. So what's interesting is we get this reference to Bait David, David. And 
through all the through all the controversy over the past, uh, I guess what's been eight eight years, six years, eight years, um, six years, 2004. What is it now? I'm longer than that. I'm old. The 1994 to today is what? 16 years. Um, there's questions. Is that is that really what this is? Yeah, Bain.me is the house of David, and we'll look at why that's important. Some people, there's always someone who's going to say it's a forgery. So right when this was discovered, they immediately said it's a forgery. Somebody wrote it and put it in the, and until the next year, they kind of found these two pieces, face down in the mud. Nobody could have put them there. And went, oh, maybe it's not a forgery, right? But you have a reference to the House of David. Now it's written in the eighth century, and it's written by someone else. So what you have is that by the eighth century, BCE, you have a reference from some Aramaic king, right? that talks about conquering a people that knew themselves as the house of David, the people of David. Right? House is not only a word for a physical house, but it's also a word for the dynasty, right? Like a house of pain, the house of rafter. Uh, like, they're old, nobody knows house of pain. I gotta update my, but the Wu-Tang Clan. Better? Oh yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's this, it's this house of, uh, it's this people, group of people. Anyways. So what we had is at least a people who were known or who called themselves the House of David, the Dynasty of David. Okay, doesn't mean doesn't prove that David existed, but it is some evidence that there were some people that called themselves the House of David. The of David. Oh, and there it is, my little animation. There we go. So this is called the Tel Dan inscription, written in Aramaic, about eighth century BC. All right, let's look at some pictures here. Can you guys see that? No, the dark pictures. All right, still dark, but oh well. Um, here you can see, kind of again, north is this way. We're going to be talking about the palace. <coughs> so we're going to look at the Milo here, the fortress of David. We're going to talk about Warren Shaft, uh, the Gihon Spring. We've talked about, we know the Free Valley is the Salon Channel, and then of course the City of David. So these are some of the things we're going to look at now. Um, if you go to the Israeli Museum in Jerusalem, they've moved this giant, remember I told you people like to make bottles of things? They have this giant replica of the old city of Jerusalem um, laid out. So every once in a while, we, uh, I had a picture of this at one point, there was a guy standing, he was massive. He's not a giant, this is just a scale model. It's a big model, it takes up probably twice the size of this room, but it's an old model. And here you can see this little finger. Remember I told you to do this in Jerusalem? Here's this little finger here. This would have been the city of David, and then the Temple Mount, David's palace, and then the Temple Mount would have been to the north, that way there. Um, here it is looking from the east towards the west. Again, the modern day Temple Mount here, an area called the Ophel here, and then the city of David down here, and it's surrounded by three valleys, which will be on your test. What's this one up here? Starts with the Hinnom Valley. What's the one in the center? Calopinian, Central Valley, Kingsbury Valley. How about this one down here? Kidron Valley. Good. So this is why Jerusalem is always attacked from the north. Um, by the way, you'll notice this hill up here is taller, flatter, it has more space, 
right? You would think, one would think, that's where you put your city. But no, the oldest part of the city is built right here. Why? Great test question. Water. Water, 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 water. Dion Spring, you can fit about 2,500 people here. You've got the water to support about 2,500 people. Done. You start on the east and move towards the west. Uh, again, another picture of it, the modern day. You can see the southern end of the Temple Mount here, and you can still see the hill. The Gion Springs right about here. Central Valley, sorry, it's almost filled in now. Uh, the area G. It's a wrapping term? No, it's not. Um, it's area G. We'll talk about area G in a little bit. Um, here's another picture. I'm just going to show you a lot of pictures before we look at some text. So here it is from the east again, so you're David. Um, here it is from the south looking north. Okay. So here again, the modern day Temple Mount. Look at how packed with these have. This is a fascinating. I, I encourage you, I don't care what religion you are or if you aren't even religious, go to Jerusalem and just wander the old city streets. You're going to hear 10 languages on any five minute stretch. It's, it's, it truly is an international city. And there's just people packed in here. That outside of the things, it's more like a modern city. The streets and cars. In here, it, it's just, you're walking building to building to building to building. There's these little, you know, it's, it's still on hills. You're walking up steps, down steps. And one of my favorite things too is just getting completely lost in there. And they do shut the gates at night. You can still get in and out of one of them, but they'll shut it down. So the city does shut down in the evening. But it's just a fascinating walk. Temple Mount, Dome of the Rock, Al-Aqsa Mosque is here. Ophel, which is now an archaeological park. That's why you still see ruins. And then the city of David coming down here. Um, don't write this down. Don't write it down. Don't write it down. Just print it out. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to memorize a lot of these. Um, I just want you to see their names. Jerusalem's been dug. It's been excavated for a long, long time by a lot of people. Edward Robinson was working on Hezekiah's tunnel. Uh, Warren and Wilson were working together uh, under the Palestine, uh, Palestine Exploration Fund. This is what we call it, Warren Shaft. He discovered it or did a lot of the excavation there. Uh, Schick, uh, Bliss, and Dickey uh, were working uh, at Byzantine Church above the Pool of Siloam. Uh, the Parker Expedition. Um, you, you, can just, you can just come all the way down here, down to Kathleen Canyon. Kathleen Canyon famous for a lot of things. All she did was dig, right? And she's, she's famous. Dame, she was, what's the female equivalent of knighting someone? The dame, they become Dame Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, excavated numerous areas around the city and also cut down the eastern slope in order to understand the fortification history of the city of David. You can't do what she's doing anymore. It's too controversial because nobody likes you digging in their holy city. But she was at a time there when there wasn't a lot of development. Uh, and, and able to do a lot of excavation. Again, don't write it down, print it out. But these are some of the names we're going to refer to uh, in their excavations. Um, again, again, I just want to get you a, an idea. North is that way, right? So the Pool of Siloam, Kidron Valley, Central Valley. We're, just, we're narrowing in here a little bit. Um, this is a fun one. This is uh, almost looking due north, almost due north to the northeast. Uh, this is the city of David from the far south. So you can see how steep uh, this uh, slope is here. And then it comes back up to this eastern hill over here, which at the time was called the Hill of Offense. The hill of Offense. And I'll tell you why in just a second. 
I think it's fine. To the south, there's another hill called the Hill of Evil Counsel. You, you get a name, if you're going to name things you don't like, you name them. A bad thing. By the way, the Hill of Evil Council, that's where the UN headquarters is now. <laughs> I think that's kind of fun. Um, here again, you see uh, the area called Sowan, Hill of Offense. I think one of the reasons the name stuck is because obviously to the west of this is West Jerusalem, Jewish or Israeli Jerusalem. To the east of this is Palestinian Jerusalem, Sowan. Had a, had a reputation of being uh, rowdy folks who like to stick up for themselves, which it is to this very day. Every time the Israelis try to do settlements in this area or dig up this area, these guys raise all kinds of uh, protests because this is where they live. They don't want their house to become a ditch. Right? They, this is where they live. Um, but it was called the Hill of Offense not because of any uh, modern reason, but for ancient reason. In 1 Kings 11, uh, we get this. Solomon built a high place for Hemosh, the abomination of Moab. This is a foreign god. Right? This is the god of the Moabites. Uh, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites. This is the Ammonite god. On the mountain east of Jerusalem. He did the same for all his foreign wives who offered incense and sacrifice to their gods. Keep in mind, uh, the Israelite faith is supposed to be monotheistic. Solomon took over as king and immediately tried to use his political influence to make treaties with all the surrounding areas. And how do you make a treaty in the ancient world, even in the modern world today? What's one of the ways you do that? You marry into the family. So we go to this kingdom to the north, and he'd say, I will take your daughter as a, as a wife, and then uh, we will have peace. The idea being that I'm never going to attack a city that's my wife, because I'll never hear the end of it. Solomon was said to have like what was the number? Some giant seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines. Concubines meaning people that you kind of have for pleasure. Mm -hmm. a, a thousand women, a thousand wives, if you will. So I mean, don't. I mean, there's always these stories about Solomon getting it on all the time, but he probably never met half of his wives. They were taken into the harem. They were treated like royalty, and he, he probably knew their name, but they were all political. This is back when you bought and sold. When, right, this is back when took them as, as kind of uh, the pawn for the, for the political treaty. Anyways, one of the prohibitions was don't take foreign wives, not because foreigners are evil, but because foreigners have foreign gods. Right? And we don't want to worship foreign gods, we only want to worship our god. But Solomon, how do you tell your wife, by the way, you can't worship your god anymore? So he allowed them to build little altars or little sanctuaries to their native gods to, of their homeland. Okay? Uh, and that was a no-no, according to the biblical text. And they built, he let them build them on this hill over here. So they call it the Hill of Offense um, uh, because that's where all these other foreign uh, gods, altars, and sacred spaces to foreign gods were. And the Bible didn't like that. Here's a, here's a good shot of how steep this is. So one, and then the eastern slope, pardon me, the, the eastern slope of the, of the eastern hill. And that's, we're looking south here and back up. Um, by the way, the, this valley has filled in a lot. It was about 60 feet, about six stories deeper at the time of David than it is today. So one of the reasons Catherine came in one of the days, she wanted to see how much of this is modern fill, 
and how, how, how deep this valley used to go all the way back down. There's a structure called the Milo, and you've seen it, we've seen it in a couple of our texts. The Milo is this structure here, and it's it's a huge retaining wall. It's a big step structure. And the idea of it uh, is here's a good picture of the remains of it. It's a retaining wall. It's it's A, it holds the, the edge of the mountain up. Remember, it's very steep, so you put it like you do all up and down, drive up Malibu. Drive up, go down to PCH and drive up Malibu. And every once in a while, you see mudslides, and then they'll build these big retaining walls to kind of hold it up. Has anybody been to the Getty? Not the new Getty right here, but the old Getty Villa in Malibu. Well, please go see that if you haven't seen it. That's where they left all the, the artifacts, all the statuary and stuff. That place, uh, uh, Jake Paul Getty, um, dismantled a villa in Italy and had it reassembled over here in Malibu, right? On the border between Malibu and Santa Monica, and, or Palisades. And um, while he did that, he, the cliff used to stick out, so he had plenty of room to build his Roman villa. But over the years, the water came and eroded the mountain. So what they did is they shut the villa down for a while. They built the New Getty Museum. They took all the, the modern art over to the New Getty over here. And in the meantime, they built a huge retaining wall to hold that mountain up. And by building a retaining wall, you can expand the area on which you can build safely above. So by building this retaining wall, the below, this is prior to David, right? So you built this already there. They were able to build out this corner so that they could build more on top. So the below is just, a, now why make a big deal about a retaining wall? Um, here's another picture of here, again looking, looking to the west. Here's why. Okay. It was revealed in the excavations of Duncan McAllister, one of the guys on the other slide I told you not to write down. Uh, and Kenyon looked at it, and Miguel Shiloh looked at it. It's preserved to a width of 45 feet, about 13 meters, and to a height of 60 feet. They uncovered 55 steps, but there's more. If, they were, if we were allowed to dig down more today, we'd find, uh, we, we didn't find the bottom. So it goes way, way down the hill. It's more than five stories high, obviously, and it's the largest Iron Age structure in Israel. So it's a big deal because it's the only thing that survived. But you have evidence of pre-Israelite or pre-Jewish uh, settlement, structural settlement on this hill. So this hill was considered sacred or considered important, or at least there were important buildings there, palaces, temples, things like that, before the Israelites got there. Again, because of strategic valleys on three sides and water. Um, it's nicknamed the Jerusalem Pyramid, not anymore, but that's what it was nicknamed for a while. Um, it was a retaining wall, probably covered with plaster supported something else. We've already said all of this, like a, a public uh, building or a palace. And this may have supported David's palace. So David conquers the city and goes, where's the retaining wall? Oh, this, is, this has a good view. We'll build the palace here. Okay. I'm going to leave this slide here for one more second. Any questions so far? Okay. Now, as they were excavating the below, they came to area G, right, the house of Achiel. And in area G, they found something that they had seen elsewhere, but here we have an early representation of it in Jerusalem, the four-roomed house, the pillared house. 
and this becomes um, kind of, you know when you go to different parts of the world, the houses kind of have different, you can tell what part of the world is. So if you see a thatched roof house, a little cottage, I was just recently in Ireland, you go, oh, this is an old Irish house. Or if you see um, square buildings with that pinkish white stone, you go, ah, this is how they build houses in Jerusalem, right? Or if you see big, sprawling, ranch-style houses or Victorian-style houses, you guys know the different styles of houses? They, and, and it tells you what kind of people are living there, and, or, or approximately when they were built. We see these uh, four-pillared houses when we start to see Israelites, when we start to see uh, early Jews moving in there. So it's kind of the typical Israelite house. And they found an ostracon that says Achiel. So they called it the house of Achiel. Easy enough. Um, let me show you what um, these look like reconstructed. Here's, here's an above. Uh, so you, what you do is you have rooms on, on three sides, plus one across the back, one, two, three, and in the center area, and pillars. So you have two stories. Okay. And you would reconstruct it like this. So we call it the four-room house. So here's Ahil's house on the left right up against the, the below. Might as well build there against that, because A, something's already built, you already got your foundation built, and B, that wall's not going anywhere. It's still there today, right? So it's a good thing to build on. And what they would do is they would build the houses, and the downstairs would be kind of their corral for their animals if they were out in a city, or you would put them in like your garage if you have animals or don't have cars, right? So they make stalls for their animals, maybe some food down there in the back, maybe some kind of industrial component in this room. And then on the top would be your sleeping quarters. Now think about that. How many of you grew up on a farm? Well, we are in Los Angeles, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Not a single hand. Um, oh, one, okay, farm. All right, so you grew up on a farm. And if you're from a town like, like I am from, there are certain uh, smells associated with that sound, okay? uh, with, that, with that city. Um, I used to walk outside and I go, what's that smell? And my grandfather would always, that's the smell of money, son. Because <laughs> why else would you live next to the sound if, if cattle, cattle production and all the things was, wasn't very lucrative, right? So this was their livelihood. So these guys lived above the stables, basically. But that's what you did. You go two-story houses. House of Akhil. Now, in Area G, they also found the house of the bullet. Okay. What's a bullet? A bullet. Uh, it's a little clay signet of some sort. And what you would do is you would press it into things, and you'd use it kind of as your signet, signature ring, or you'd seal it on, on things. So you could take this bullet, you could uh, make one on a jug handle, and that would be, you know, that's how this is signed, you know who it's from, things like that. Um, and we find here uh, a seal from Gerayahu ben Shafan. Gerayahu ben Shafan. Who cares? Okay. Here's why it's important. That's, that's an actual picture of the seal there. Remember, Hebrew is written right to left, right to left. So it's two lines. It's got this little bullet. Because in Jeremiah 36, Jeremiah is a book in the Hebrew Bible, you get this. In the fifth year of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, and in the ninth month, all the people of Jerusalem and all the people who came from the towns of Judah to Jerusalem proclaimed a fast before the Lord. Then in the hearing of all the people, Baruch, Baruch read the words of Jeremiah from the scroll. So there's a prophet named Jeremiah, 
he can't write, right? Because very few people can. But he has, in the instance, he has a scribe. So Jeremiah dictates, and Baruch is writing things down. And Baruch came to read uh, the words of Jeremiah the prophet in the house of the Lord, in the chamber of Gemariah, son of Shaphan, the secretary, which was in the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. So you have a reference to the same guy, right, who appeared to be a royal scribe or, or a temple scribe. Okay? So he's some kind of, uh, of secretary, some kind of scribe. He's a trained writer. And this guy um, posted, because he's described, the reading of this text. So what you have evidence of, Jeremiah could be making all this up, but you've got a, a, a seal, a bullet, from with the same name on it as um, one of the guys who's said to be a scribe in the Bible. Offering evidence that maybe he wasn't making this up. Maybe there was a, an official secretary of the king or of, of the temple um, named Gemariah. Do you guys know about IAH names that end in IAH? Just very quickly, names that end in IAH in Hebrew are a reference to the divine name. And you go back over here and write the, a name. So what's a what's book like uh, Jeremiah? J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H, right? Jeremiah, no T, no I. So a name like Jeremiah, you've got something, whatever. And in English, we say Ayah. But in Hebrew, it's Yaku. And so what other names do we know that end in, in Ayah? Iskiyaku, right? Hezekiah. Eliyahu, right? Elijah. Elijah. Obadiah, Obed-Yahu, right? Yahu sounds a lot like what? That, that divine name, right? Yahweh, it sounds like the name of God. And what you would do is you would write your, uh, the God that you served name into your own name. It was a sign of respect early on, okay? So you would just put part of it. You wouldn't want to say the whole thing, so you just put Yahu, or you put Yah, right? Hezekiah, is Yahu. So any name that you know that ends in I-A-H has the, the divine name in it. Other names you'll find are like uh, El, names that have the word El in it. El meaning what in Hebrew? God, generic word for God. Generic, God uh, El is a generic word for God. Yah, or Yahu I-A-H, is the divine name. Okay? So a great name would be Eliyahu, Elijah, right? Which means what? Eli, my God, is who? Yahweh. My God, that's a great name. If you're if you're a Jew, right? Eliyahu, my my God, Eliyahu, or Iskiyahu, Hezekiah. Yahweh is strong. Iskiyahu, Hazak, right? Iskiyahu. Okay. The modern equivalent, the best the best modern equivalent I can, I can think of this is the current Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. Anybody want to take a crack at this name? If you're a politician, this is a great name, right? Benjamin meaning son of the right hand, which is the way that you basically say. My right hand man, right? And Natan is the word to give, and Yahoo is God, right? The divine name. So basically, Benjamin Netanyahu's name is something to the effect of God has given his right hand man. If you're a politician, you just walk around like, yeah, here I am. God's right hand man, I'm here to help you. Not that you disagree with his politics, obviously, you don't like his name, right? Daniel is another one. Dani, my judge. 
L is God. Daniel. So you can break off L's and IAHs for names, and that's how you know that they're playing. Now, you'll also read a lot of names that have Baal in it. Ish Baal. Right, is another name. So basically, I'm a Ish, I'm a man of Baal, which is not a good name to have if you're a Jew, right? But you still have Baal also means Lord. It's also the word, sorry, woman, for husband. Think about that. The word for husband is the word for Lord. Right? So I now pronounce you Lord and wife. <laughs> the women's rights advocates don't, don't like that at all. All right, let's move on. Let's, uh, how much time do we have? Let's pick up next time right here. We'll talk about Warren Schaff. And when I ask you, uh, we'll, we'll save that for next time. Uh, we'll pick up here next week and we'll talk about David and Solomon. Uh, thank you guys.